The thing I love about rivers is this, rivers are alive and living things are found in rivers. It's amazing how much takes place around a river, fish inside of them, birds flying over them, people living on the sides of them and having fun inside of them. Rivers are amazing gifts from God. And what's amazing is that Jesus in the New Testament told us that He is the living water, the living river that all of us are actually thirsty for. We learn in week one of the river series that just like our bodies can get thirsty, our souls get thirsty as well. And in fact, often the things we go after in life is actually because our souls are thirsty for the one thing that can quench our thirst, and that's Jesus Himself. And yet we often will spend years and months and maybe even decades of our lives chasing after the wrong things that can never quench our thirst. Theologian and writer G.K. Chesterton said this, every time a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's actually looking for God. If G.K. were writing that today, he might say this, every time a man in the middle of the night searches his computer for pornography, he's actually looking for God. Every time a woman posts a selfie of herself and then checks all day long to see how many likes it gets and who liked it. She's actually searching for God. Every time a teenager spends yet another weekend drinking his or her life away looking for an identity, that, that kid is actually looking for God. Every time a workaholic chases that one more big success to the detriment of his health, his family, his relationships, that person is actually looking for God. And today, whatever you're chasing, whatever you're chasing that's not Jesus Himself, that you think is going to give you what you've always wanted, you're going to stay thirsty because your soul can only have its thirst quenched by God Himself. In the book of Psalms, it says that God will satisfy the thirsty and that He will fill the hungry with good things. That's the promise of Scripture. And then we saw in the New Testament that Jesus said the exact same thing about Himself because Jesus is God, and He said that He Himself would fill us, would quench our thirst. In John uh, chapter 7, verses 35 through 38, Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's the most popular of all the feasts. There are thousands of people there, and on the last great day of that feast, Jesus stood up and He interrupted the entire feast. The Bible says He cried out with a loud voice. Let's take a look at what it says in verse 37 of the book of John. On the last day, that great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and He cried out. I love that He cried out because Jesus wanted everyone to know, not just some. He wanted everyone to hear that He could give them the thirst-quenching living water. He wanted everyone to drink of Him. He cried out and He said, If anyone thirst, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, 
for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're going to continue to look at these verses today because the first thing you have to do is you have to admit that you're thirsty and that you need Jesus. But then when you come to Jesus, what we're going to find out today is that He's not done with you. Once you drink of His water, the journey is just beginning because Jesus does something in you when you drink of Him, but the promise is that He is also going to do something amazing through you. Jesus is the living water that flows into us and flows through us. So my hope is that all of us uh, taking part in the River Series that we would be willing to drink of Jesus. Jesus wants you to drink of Him because He knows He is the only one who can quench your thirst. You were made for Jesus. You were created to live life on God. Your body, your human physical body was made to need water. You can't go very long without it. Uh, but your soul was made to, to live and, and flourish on the living water of Jesus. And Jesus promises here, if you come to Him and you're thirsty, you can drink of Him. The offer stands for all of us. But He said something else there in the book of John. He said that when you come to Him, something else would happen. He said that living water would begin to come out of you, that He would make rivers of living water flow from your heart, from your spirit. Today I'm standing in a really beautiful place. It's one of my favorite spots in all of Baldwin County here in South Alabama. It's called Weeks Bay. Behind me is an incredible place. It's called Weeks Bay. It's actually an estuary. And what's really cool about it is if you look at it, your first glance would be that this looks like a big giant pond or a lake. But it's not a lake. It's not a pond because a lake and a pond does not have moving water. This water behind me is moving. And you know why it's moving? Because two incredibly beautiful and powerful rivers are actually flowing into Weeks Bay. Here to the north of me is Fish River, an incredibly beautiful river that's flowing north to south into Weeks Bay. Over behind me, you can actually see the inlet to Magnolia River, which is considered one of the most beautiful rivers in all of the state of Alabama. Both of these rivers flow into this spot called Weeks Bay, and then it empties out into Mobile Bay and on into the Gulf of Mexico. It's an incredible natural wonder where we're standing right here. And what I love about this spot here is that it's not actually a lake. It's not a reservoir where we're trying to trap everything and keep it here. It's actually moving. And, and today what we want to do is we want to see in our Christian lives, we don't want to be reservoirs. We don't want to be reservoirs because we weren't made to be. That's not why Jesus has us drink of Him. We drink of Him first so that we can experience Him personally. But if we stop there, we become a reservoir. We become a pond, a lake. We are self-contained and God never meant that to be the case for us. In fact, it's impossible for a believer in Christ who drinks of His living water to contain what He's going to do inside of you. We were always meant to be rivers. That's what He promised, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm going to turn you into a reservoir so you can trap all the goodness of God inside of you just so you can experience it. No. He says, I am going to do something inside of everyone who drinks of me that will turn you actually into a river. The river of Jesus is going to flow through us and out to others. It's a beautiful promise. It's a promise that happens for all believers that we, that we don't become reservoirs. We become rivers. God's going to do something in you when you drink of His water, but He's then going to do something through you. So Jesus promised us 
that when we drink of him, we will have our thirst quenched, but we will also then begin to be an outflow of his living water to others around us. In another place, Jesus helped us understand this concept. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Listen to what he said. Speaking to all of us who drink of his water, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now Jesus begins to talk about salt and light. This is what happens when we drink of the water of Jesus. It transforms us. And now we are to be salt and light. Now Jesus said something interesting here. He said that salt, if it loses its flavor, is not good for preserving things. It's not good for enhancing things. It's not good for making people thirsty anymore. Do you know what he says? He says it's only good to be trampled over. What he's referencing here is in ancient times around the Dead Sea region there was salt. But the salt out of the Dead Sea region was not very good to use for anything other than sprinkling on roadsides to keep the grass and the weeds and the vegetation from growing over the road. It was the only thing it was good for because it was a flat, tasteless salt. It could kill grass, but it couldn't enhance food. It couldn't make you thirsty. It couldn't do the things salt is meant to do. And Jesus was using a brilliant illustration for his audience that now we can understand today. Jesus doesn't mean for you to be any old salt. He means for you to be salt that changes the atmosphere around you. And what I would say to you today is none of us have the power to save anyone. You don't have the power to actually change someone. Only Jesus can do that, but I'll tell you what we can do. In fact, I'll tell you what we're called to do as Christians. We are called to be salty. And do you know what salty people do to other people who don't know Christ yet? We make them thirsty. You can't save anyone. You can't really change anyone's life on your own. But what we as believers can do, must do, and are called to do is to make people thirsty. And so that begs the question, a question we need to answer today. How can we make people thirsty? How do we live salty lives that make people thirsty for Jesus? So how do we live salty lives that make people thirsty for Jesus? Well, it's not mysterious. It's not some kind of ethereal thing that we can't understand. The Bible actually helps us understand exactly how. And we need to go back to John chapter 7 again. What did Jesus say at the Feast of the Tabernacles? He cries out. He gets everyone's attention. He interrupts the big day of the, of the feast, the festival. And he tells them, drink of me. And then he says, drink of me and I will make rivers of living water come out of you. And then the Bible says this. Notice, it says, he said this concerning the Spirit who he had not sent yet. He was with them. So now we understand what's going on. Here's what you need to know. When you drink of Jesus, when you become a Christian, and then you continue to drink of him, and you begin to have your thirst quenched, Jesus does something for all of us who drink of him or believe in him. Remember, how you drink of Jesus is to believe upon him. And your life is transformed. You're never the same. You become salty. But how does Jesus make us salty? And how can the world see it? Remember what it said, what we just read in Matthew? Jesus said, your good works are going to make the world see you and then glorify God. What are they going to see? Well, the Bible says that he said those things concerning the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus indwells all drinkers of the living water with the Holy Spirit. When you drink of Jesus, when you believe upon Him, you're immediately indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Those believers that heard Him say it at the Feast of Tabernacles, they didn't get that immediately. Why? Because Jesus was still with them. But when Jesus died, resurrected from the grave, and ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit, who now indwells all believers immediately when they drink of the living water. And then the Holy Spirit, when He comes into us, He begins to do some amazing things. And do you know what He begins to produce inside of all believers? He begins to produce what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus was talking about when He said, You are going to shine your light. You're going to become salty. How do we shine light? How are we salty? Here's how. By beginning to show the world the fruit of the Spirit inside of us. And what we're going to say today, because most of us, when we think of fruit, we think fruit is sweet. But today we're talking about salty fruit. Salty fruit. That's right. We're going to look at the book of Galatians, if you'll turn with me there. In the book of Galatians, the Bible begins to help us understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. And it gives us, in the book of Galatians, this incredible contrast. And the contrast is between uh, salt that's not going to help, salt that's flat, and the Bible's going to call it the works of the flesh, and then salty fruit that can change the world around us. That's the fruit of the Spirit in us. We're going to see both. Let's begin by seeing what we are not supposed to exemplify in our lives as Christians. So we go to Galatians chapter 5. And listen to what it says in chapter 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, again, this would be the flat salt. This would be the things that God wants to remove from our lives. The works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And sorcery can also be taking of drugs that are hallucinogens. So the, the original word there is pharmakeia. So it's exactly what that's talking about to help you understand what that means. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now that phrase and the like means this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't all there is. Paul's giving you a really good example. The Apostle Paul who wrote Galatians is giving you a great example of here's what does not help. Here's what God wants to remove from the life of a believer. Okay? Look what it says. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot, as a believer who's tasted of the living water, continue to practice. It doesn't mean you won't do these things sometimes. Because as believers in Christ, we're not perfect. We're not glorified yet in heaven. So we still fight our flesh. It's still there. But it will not be the driving force of our life anymore. When you drink of the living water, Jesus promises this new thing's going to happen. And what's that new thing? This was your old life. That's what your old life was about. That's the salt that's worthless. You throw it on the ground to kill the weeds. But it can't change anyone's life. Look at verse 22, though. There's a transition. So we just heard about the works of the flesh. Now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And here we go. Here's salty fruit. Here's what Jesus is going to make happen in us through His Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And there it is. How does Jesus make His people salty for the world around us to become thirsty for Him? Well, He begins through His Spirit in us to produce this fruit, salty fruit. When the world sees that fruit, known as the fruit of the Spirit, it makes them salty. So how do you make people thirsty? You begin to allow Jesus 
to bring you alive in the Spirit and produce His fruit inside of you. So why is it important for us to understand that the Spirit of God lives in us? I'll give you an example. Recently, I have a Jeep Wrangler. It's a four-door Jeep, and it was sputtering and spitting going down the road, and it didn't have power, and the whole engine would shake. And I thought something was really bad wrong. I thought, man, this is going to cost a lot of money. A good friend of mine's a mechanic, so I dropped it off at his shop. He called me back, and he said, hey, I just replaced the spark plugs. That's all it was. The spark plugs in my engine had worn down so much that the space between them was not allowing the connection to be made the way it was supposed to, and my engine could not run properly. It had no power. It had no energy, and I thought the thing was totally messed up, but it really wasn't messed up. It just didn't have the power it needed. It didn't have the spark. The Bible is clear that, that we as believers are powerless on our own. We must be connected with the Spirit of God. So when we become a Christian, we don't manufacture the fruits of the Spirit. You don't plant those seeds. They are planted in you. And you have to continue to walk in the Spirit to see His power moving through your life. Uh, when Nan and I, my wife, when we were in Atlanta, Georgia, 20 years ago we first got married, we bought our first house. And it was an older house that we were going to fix up. We bought it in the winter. In fact, there was an ice storm in Atlanta, Georgia the weekend we bought our house. But then spring came. And as we were working on the inside of the house, we noticed that outside in the yard, unbeknownst to us, these flowers began to pop up all around the house. The owners before us had done the work to plant a lot of flowers and shrubs and bushes that began to sprout up and grow out in the spring. We had no idea they were there. So you know what we did then? When we found out that all this stuff was there in the landscaping, we began to fertilize it. We began to learn how to take care of it. We weeded it. We made sure that it could grow, but we did not plant it. Listen, when we bought the house, it came with the house. It was already in the ground. But what we were able to do is nurture it. We were able to, instead of pulling it up out of the ground, instead of letting it dry up and die, we watered it. We fertilized it. Listen, that is what it looks like in your Christian life. You don't manufacture the fruits of the Spirit that we just read in Galatians, but what you do is nurture them. You begin to choose them. You begin to lean into them. You begin to learn more about them. You begin to ask God to bring them out in your life. You begin to lean into it rather leaning away from it. And my friends, that is what it looks like for Christians to become salty so the world around us can become thirsty for Jesus. We must lean into the work of the Spirit in our lives who is producing the fruit of the Spirit that makes the world around us thirsty for Jesus. There's a few more things that we need to learn from the book of Galatians today. When you contrast the works of the flesh that we just read about, that God wants to remove from your life, that you need to walk away from in your life, when you contrast the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, you might find something interesting. The works of the flesh, works is a plural word. It's a plurality. What this means is the works of the flesh, the sinful things in our lives, there's lots of them, and you kind of pick and choose. If you're like me, there are certain things in your life that are not a big deal. They're not hard for you to resist. They're not hard for you to walk away from when it comes to the sin nature in your life, but there are other things that are really hard for you. What you'll find is sinful activities that are hard for some people to walk, walk away from are very easy for others to walk away from because the works of the flesh are kind of like a if you will, a whole table full of poisonous pills that you could take and you can choose which one you take. And some people choose one and others choose a different one. That's how sin works. It's the works, plural, of the flesh. But what happens when we get to the fruit of the Spirit? Notice it is singular. It's not plural. 
So watch this. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit, nine of them that we just read, you do not pick and choose them. What the Bible is saying is that when you drink of the living water of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you, they come in the package. You get all of the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit are a lot like a bouquet of flowers. If I bring my wife a bouquet of flowers, she does not go, oh, that flower's pretty and oh, that one's pretty and pick them out one at a time. No, it's the composite of the bouquet that makes it beautiful. It's the 10 to 12 to 15 flowers together, all together, that's the bouquet, not singular ones. So, so what do I mean by this? It means this. As a Christian, I don't get to say, you know what? I think I'm going to be really good. I'm a long-suffering guy. That's going to be my thing, but I'm not going to be so big on love. I'm going to be really big into uh, being patient, but I'm not going to be so big into uh, being kind. We don't get to pick and choose the flowers out of the bouquet of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, meaning this is what He does in our lives when we drink of His water. And when the world begins to see the bouquet of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, guess what happens? It's an amazing thing that God does in our lives. The world around us becomes very thirsty. So today as we look at what Galatians calls the fruit of the Spirit, again, let me make the connection. Jesus says that if you'll drink of Him in John, you become a person who has quenched your thirst, your deepest thirst. And then He will do something through you to make the world around you thirsty for Him. And that is the production of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Another thing you need to understand here is just like the fruit of the Spirit is one thing that begins to happen in your life, it has different components. What you need to understand is that these listed here in Galatians are what we'll call attitude fruit, okay? These are attitudes. These are not actions. These are nine different attitudes that begin to be evident in the life of all believers. Now, throughout the New Testament, the Bible shows you action fruit that will happen in your lives. But what we need to understand is that the attitude fruit that we find in Galatians happens first. You become a person of peace that begins to do peaceful things like peacemaking. You don't just become a peacemaker. You have the Holy Spirit make you a person of peace and it naturally becomes the action. So here's what you want to understand. You don't want to just have the action of the fruit of God in your life without the attitudes found in Galatians. You know what that's called? That's called legalism. The Pharisees were like this. They could fake it a little bit. They were frauds, many of them. Because they would act like they loved people, but they really didn't love people. It was just an action without the heart attitude. That's why Galatians calls this the fruit of the Spirit and then gives you nine different attitudes. An attitude of peace, an attitude of kindness, an attitude of love. This is the canopy under which as Christians we begin to operate and behave. You don't behave your way into these. You have the Holy Spirit transform you, and these become the attitudes in your life. And just to walk through them, just so you understand, just a quick overview. First of all, love. Jesus said love is the greatest of all. So love is at the beginning of this list. The list is not necessarily sequential in nature. Again, they're not sequential because you get it as a bouquet of the fruit of the Spirit. You get it all at one time. But love is primary. It should be at the top. God Himself is love. And without love, the Bible tells us that we are nothing but clanging symbols. You can speak all the languages in the world and not have love, and you have nothing. So the first thing the Holy Spirit begins to do in our lives is produce love. And then it has joy. As people of God, we should be people of joy. And not joy that's dependent on our circumstances. A joy that 
literally supersedes everything else in our life. It is a transcendent joy that no matter what we're going through, we have this true deep joy in Christ. Peace. Peace. This means that we have an inner calm that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Long-suffering. This means that as Christians, when the rest of the world gets shaken up by what's around them, we have an ability to suffer well and to handle tough situations because we're anchored in Christ. Kindness. This means we put others before ourselves. This means we don't always think of our own uh, needs. We think of others and we do good for others, even if they don't do good for us because of the kindness in us. Goodness. This speaks of a moral clarity. Christians more and more have an attitude of goodness, meaning we want to do what is right in every situation. Faithfulness. It means we can be trusted. We're loyal and we show up when we say we're going to show up. We do what we say we're going to do. We tell the truth. We're faithful as Christians. Gentleness. This does not need to be confused with weakness. When you become a Christian, you don't have to become weak. In fact, another way to translate this is from gentleness to meekness. And let me tell you how you, how you define this word here, this fruit of the Spirit. Here's how, this component of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's how you do it. It is strength under control. Gentleness, meekness equals strength under control. And then, of course, you have self-control. One of the big components of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a believer is that we can say no to ourselves. We have self-control. We don't do just whatever we want to do. Why? Because we're not the boss anymore. When we drink of the living water of Christ, He becomes our Lord and King, and now we have an authority in our lives that drives us, that informs us, that, that commands us. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Now watch this. When you and I begin to live this out, what I'm reading to you, when we begin to have these attitudes, when we lean into them, we don't manufacture it. You can't go out and just start doing this list. This is stuff that's implanted in your heart when you became a Christian. What you have to do is begin to pray, read the Word, and walk in the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, it's going to be like my wife and I fertilizing that yard that already had the flowers in it. It begins to sprout and pop and become evident in your life. And when that happens, listen, when you begin to live the fruit of the Spirit, people around you will become thirsty and they don't even know why. But they look at your life and they see your self-control and your joy and your peace and patience and kindness. Kindness even towards them. And when they see that, they become thirsty. And the beauty of this is, is that you and I then get to point them to the only fountain that never runs dry. The only river that will never stop flowing. The river of Jesus. The only place where they can have their thirst quenched. So it's time to put it all together today as we study uh, this incredible idea of Jesus being the river, the water of life. Listen, we began at the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and he can drink. We drink of Jesus. We have our own thirst quenched. We become believers in him. We're transformed. And then he made a promise that he would make rivers flow out of us. And he, the scriptures say there that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So then we turned over to Galatians and we see how the Holy Spirit does this inside of us. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ when we drink of the water of Jesus. And it's a river that never runs dry. So our thirst can always be quenched when we come to Jesus. So today, that is the beauty of it. If, you're, if you are listening or watching this today and you're a Christian and yet you're still thirsty, it's because you stopped drinking of Jesus and you began to drink of other things again. Come back to Jesus. He's the river that never runs dry, and as a Christian, you always have Him available. Continue to walk with Jesus. And when you do that, that's like my wife and I fertilizing that yard in Atlanta at our first house. The seeds were already in the ground, and then they began to sprout. 
And in Galatians, we learned that the Holy Spirit produces this fruit, salty fruit, out of our lives, and that makes people around us thirsty for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It's what God intends to do, not just in us, but through us. So where in the Bible do we see this happening? Well, we're going to go back to the woman at the well that we learned a little bit about week one of the River Series. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 4. And we know the story. If you've never heard it, Jesus goes into a place called Samaria, which is a place where Jewish people, especially a a Jewish rabbi like Jesus normally would not have gone. They would walk around the place rather than walk through it. He ends up at a well, and a woman walks up to the well. Jesus engages this woman. He talks to her. That's something that a Jewish male rabbi during that time would have never done. She's amazed by that. They get into a conversation, and Jesus pretty quickly reveals to her that he's no normal person. He's a prophet. He reads her mail. He knows exactly everything she's ever done. And she realizes this guy is unique. There's something special about him. And then Jesus looks at her and says these incredible words. Jesus has said to her, if you knew who I was, who it is speaking to you, he says, then you would ask me for water and I would give you water. Verse 14, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. It's amazing. Jesus was saying the same thing to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 as he would say later in chapter 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles. He is the living water. Well, what happens next? It's pretty amazing. Look what it says in verse 25. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus said to the woman at the well, I am God. I am the Messiah. What happens next? The woman got to drink of Jesus. She got to drink of the living water. Well, when you look at it, you realize that she left. In fact, it says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. She went her way into the city and said to all the men of the city, come see a man who told me things that I, all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. There it is. She's beginning to let the river that flowed into her flow out of her. This is what it looks like. And then look what it says in verse 39. And this is it. This this could be the story of your life and mine. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. Many of the Samaritans in that city, Jesus gave that woman a drink of living water, and because of that, she'd never be the same. And because of that, the river that flowed into her flowed out of her heart. And many believed because of her. That is the way it works. That's what Jesus intended all along. He wants to do something for you, quenching your thirst. He wants to do something through you, making the world around you thirsty for Jesus. So how many of you joining us today have tasted the living water of Jesus? How many of you know what it feels like to be so thirsty in the very depths of your soul when you've chased down a million dead-end roads, when when you've tasted of the wrong water over and over again, and it left you thirsty, and then you finally came to Jesus. You know what it's like to have living water flow into your life and change you from the inside out. But maybe what you did is you made the mistake of becoming nothing more than a reservoir. 
You thought that you'd just trap all the goodness of God for you, His blessings, His, His peace, love, and kindness, the identity He's given you, the joy in Christ, but you kept it all to yourself like a reservoir. Well, today it's time to go from being a reservoir to being a river. It's time to let the river flow, not just into your life, but out of your life. If you have lifted the glass of living water to your own lips, what would it look like if you began to show the world through the salty fruit of the Spirit what it's like to live for Jesus? What would it look like if you gave other people a drink? What would it be like if you poured the glass, if the water flowed from your heart into others? That's what you were made for. It's what Jesus saved you for. Your thirst has been quenched by the living water of Christ. Now, pour the glass for someone else. Live for Jesus. Let your light shine. Let your life be salty. Let your fruit be seen by the world so that they can be thirsty for Jesus. And then, my friends, give them Jesus. Pour the glass. Give them the living water of Christ. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name, oh yeah. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.